As you're sitting down, I would love for all the kids to come up here and join me. So kids, elementary school and lower, come up and join me. Mall me, no, just, just gather around, sit on the floor right in here. Enjoy sitting on the floor while you still can. All the kids, come on down. I'm not scary, Ron, this morning. Yeah, come on down. Sure. Good to see you guys. Merry Christmas. You guys looking forward to Christmas? Yeah, it's an amazing day, isn't it? And I know what you were really looking forward to today was coming here. Well, a few yeses. That's pretty good. So, so what we want to do right now is we want to talk about the Christmas story a little bit and read the Christmas story. You guys have all heard the Christmas story, right? But this is a great chance for us to remember it every year because by remembering it every year, we remember how important it is, which is why we've been doing the candles all, all um, month is remembering how important the birth of Christ is. So what I'm going to do right now is light the center candle. And you're here closest. Do you want to stand up and help me with this? Yeah, we're going to light the center candle, which represents the birth of Christ. Do you know how to use one of these or do you just want to? Okay. So light the center candle. Nice. So this represents the birth of Christ. Why do you think we put it at the center of all the other candles? Okay. And in the center, we're able to do that. So sometimes we word that like we want him to be the center of our lives. And the center of everything. And that's a good reminder that he's to be the center of everything in our lives. We use, we use candles because it represents light. And we know that Jesus is the light of the world. And in fact, Isaiah himself pros- prophesied that the world is in darkness and there, there would come a great light. And so these are some of the reasons that we do this. The center candle also represents that our focus today is joyful adoration of the king. And submission to the king. So I want to read the Christmas story to you. And even though you've heard it before, try to picture it in your mind, okay? Try to picture the the dark stable. Try to picture the manger with hay in it. Those of you that were part of Living Nativity, you got a little more in your mind to picture because it's like, hey, okay, it looks sort of like that. But let me read out of Luke and Matthew. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house of lineage of David. So, so far we know they have to go to Bethlehem, right? It's about a 60 to 80 mile walk, depending on which roads you take. And and they're walking it. There's no getting in the car and the minivan and coming. They're walking it. And so they go to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary. And Joseph is with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Familiar, right? So he's in a manger in the straw because there was no other place for them to go. And this is how the king of the universe, the Messiah, chose to come. And then we have the whole shepherd story. And Mathia, thank you for reciting that for us this morning at the beginning of that song. And, and the, the angels came to the shepherds and they rejoiced and they came and worshiped. And then we move a little bit forward to the Magi. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It's one of my favorite verses. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Ascertained is sort of a big word, right? He basically called them secretly and said, tell me when the star came because I want to find this person. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. How many of you think Herod wanted to worship Jesus? Oh, you all started to raise your hand. You're like, nope. <laughs> he, he switched the question. You don't think Herod wanted to come worship Jesus? Are you sure? What did Herod want to do? Kill him. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> Herod wanted to kill him because it was a threat, a, a rival king. And Herod was a, um, a very self-centered man. He wanted to stay king. Sometimes we call him a megalomaniac. And um, that's sort of what he was like. So Herod says, I want to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And there's that word again, worship, which is why we're here. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So that's part of the Christmas story. I want you guys to stay up here. I think we're, we're keeping up here for the next couple songs. And sing with us a couple more songs and um, a couple Christmas carols as we worship together. You guys can head back to your parents. We're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on God's word. Thank you, worship team, for um, leading us in worship and worshiping the king. Unexpected things. Yeah, anyone like unexpected things? It depends, right? You know, if you were expecting a camera and someone gave you a new car, that would be a pretty cool unexpected thing. One of the weirdest unexpected things I've seen this year, um, I don't know if we have a picture of it, I think we do, Caesar salad candy canes. I feel like this is just wrong on a number of different levels. Imagine, I mean, they're green, so imagine just putting these in your kids' stockings and not telling them what they are. Enjoy the mint. Um, no, no, this is, this is like the most unexpected. The same company also makes mac and cheese candy chain, canes. I am not sure what I think about that. That might be pretty good. Um, but no, this is not what we would call a good surprise. This is not something that um, we would like, but it is unexpected. The Christmas story as we come to Christmas morning here is full of unexpected things, right? 
just full of unexpected things. Think through the story and, and, and give me some feedback. What, is, what are some of the unexpected things about the birth of Christ and the birth narrative? That it happened. That's right. And so that, that God would come and be with us, the virgin birth and all that. Good. Someone else. The what? The decree, okay, that it happened at just that time and everyone had to go back and, and God used that to get them back to where he prophesied they would come. Good. Anyone else? Angels show up. Anyone? Angels show up this morning? Husbands, you can say your wives, but any other angels, heavenly angels? Yeah, that's a surprise. There was a hand in the back. No room at the inn. Right. And, and so they get there, and especially in a culture of hospitality, that would have been a surprise. And, and, and we're still trying to figure out what all that means. But yeah, what else was surprising or unexpected? Right afterwards, having to flee to Egypt. We didn't get that far in the story, but um, they have a, a, a toddler, infant toddler, and they're having to flee to Egypt for their lives. That's certainly unexpected for the Messiah. John. That he came down as a baby, right. Not how I would have done it. Let's just come down as an adult, conquering king, live a couple years, sure, die on the cross, but, and it, but even that was unexpected, that, that the cross was part of the Messiah's um, plan and vision. The star, yeah, and, and the star was orchestrated by God to lead people to a certain spot. Um, which I'm not even sure how that completely works, but God is, and God knows. So unexpected things can be good or bad, but in this case, almost everything about the Christmas story was unexpected. And the reason we say it's unexpected is because it's not how we would have done things. It's not how we would have planned. It's different. And so that becomes unexpected to us because my normal is what I expect, and then the unexpected strays from that, and goes away from that. And what's interesting, our, our theme this year is unexpected savior. Because as we talk about all these unexpected things, one of, one of on my heart was that we focus on just how different this savior was than what they expected. They expected a savior that would come and remove the circumstances they didn't like, that would make their life better, that would make their life easier. But that wasn't God's plan. And praise God that wasn't his plan. Because when God does the unexpected, it is always better than the normal. It is always better than what we expect. You know, we often, we often want different things, and those aren't the best for us, right? So kids, how many of you got candy already this year? Adults? How come it's all adults raising their hand? Like candy, chocolate, we're there. Now, what our wants would be is I'm just going to eat all my chocolate today, right? Now, is that good for me? No, I'm going to be throwing up tonight, the sick tomorrow, and ruin the whole day. And we often want things that aren't the best for us. You know, kids, very few kids want their veggies. A few do, and they can have the Caesar salad candy canes. Um, Most just want to binge, and then they're sick and unable to play with their gifts, Um, many kids, many of you want to stay up all night before Christmas. Yeah. Did did anyone stay up all night last night? No, because you'd be asleep right now. This would not be what is best. As older adults, we too 
expect certain things and want different things because our expectations tend to be tied to our wants. We want a certain job, but God may have a plan for us elsewhere. We want a certain lifestyle, but God may want a different lifestyle for us to reach different people. And there are all kinds of things that we can talk about with expectations and wants and needs. But today as we come to a Savior, we, we, we want to talk about the Savior we needed. And that was not the Savior they expected. That was not the Savior we would expect. Last week, Pastor Andrew did a, a marvelous job of sharing with us what they expected the savior they thought they wanted. And they wanted a ruling savior that would destroy the rule of the Romans and set up peace on earth, set up his palace on earth. And we, we tried to work that into the nativity and that became sort of a fun element. Um, but that is what they expected. They expected a Messiah that would come and fix their circumstances. Water is coming down. <laughs> oh, you're gonna, oh, Okay. Tea and water. Okay, so I have hot and cold. Sorry, my voice has been difficult to work with this week. Um. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it a Christmas gift. A very, a very good Christmas gift. Um, and so they were looking for freedom from oppression anything to get out from under the oppression they felt. Um, they, had, they had seen all the prophecies. We talked about those last week. They expected a deliverer, and, and understandably so, as they look at the, the, the prophecies, but they were thinking this big, and God was thinking this big. And that's usually what happens in our lives, right? Our expectations are this big. This is what I want. And what God is doing is this big and far beyond what I could dream. They wanted relief from the Romans. What difference would that make today? None. And God said, I am going to deliver you from a much bigger threat, all evil in this world, all sin in this world. And I'm going to offer a way out of that. And so when we come to the unexpected Savior, that is what we come to. And what I'd like to do is quickly look at two texts today, both of the angel visits to Joseph and Mary, Mary first and then Joseph, because what's interesting in these texts is the angel in both cases gives some names for God, for Jesus, for the Messiah, and the names that he gives for the Messiah are leading Mary and Joseph from the Messiah they expected to the Messiah they needed. And so God is graciously bringing them along from what they expected, the deliverer, the the relief from oppression, and saying, oh, I have so much better in mind and so much more planned. So we're going to start with Luke. And the the first angel visit was to Mary. And and again, there's a lot to the story we could focus on, and and you may feel like I'm skipping over some things today. I'm getting to the names and and the, the names that God used for the Messiah Because in our devotional time today, I just want to focus on on a couple of those things. And so we come to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 23, or through 33, sorry. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 33. And we read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So we get the picture, Mary's in Nazareth. She and Joseph are betrothed. And for our kids, you may wonder what betrothed is. 
It's like uh, engagement, but beyond. An engagement with a legal status that holds it firm. And so it's not quite marriage, but it's more than engagement. And in fact, it was an official relationship between these two. So they were going to get married within the next year for betrothment. And in verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But as we see usually the response to angels, she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, if you and I are married, we're probably still afraid. We're like favor with God, angel, this is, and angels were probably not these, these small little things with wings. They were, I, I think they were looked like mighty men and um, an imposing view. And so Mary is hearing from this angel. And in verse 31, he goes on to say, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, there's a lot to those verses. I want to focus on those last few verses. But the first Savior that we need is the Savior who is the great King. The Savior who is the great King. For those of you keeping notes, that's the the first blank in your notes. And we need a great King, and they needed a great King. They had one idea of what that would look like. God had another idea. But there's several words that were there. And picture Mary. She has now heard that she will have a son but she's not married yet, that his name will be Jesus, which means Yahweh will bring salvation or Yahweh saves, that he's going to be a king and that he's going to live forever. If, if, if any news blows your mind a little bit, this might be it. Because this is a lot to take in for a young, on the younger side of her teenage years, a young lady. But the wording here is, is really important. In verse 31, his name will be Jesus. And we gloss over that because we just name people names we like. And usually most of you come up with some meaning of it. But when we're going around and saying, my name is Ron, I've looked it up, but I'm not even sure what Ron means anymore. It means me. I mean, so, so, but for them, names meant something and names were important, especially when names are mentioned in the Bible. It's always good to say, what does that name mean? And so the first name given is Jesus which is from Joshua or Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord is salvation. Sometimes it was just used for savior. And so Jesus could mean savior, which is why we come to the unexpected savior. And and so what we have here is the first thing told to Mary is this is the one that is going to bring salvation. He is going to bring God's salvation. He's a savior. Now, if, if we need a savior, what does that imply? That we need to be saved, right? And so built into this word is this whole idea that we are on a path that needs to be, that we need to be saved from. Things are not good. You only fix things that are broken, hopefully at home. Otherwise you break more things. But yeah, we only need a savior if we need saving. And so right from the start, we should be reflecting on why do we need a savior? What really is, and they might say the Romans, but God has in mind, going back to Genesis chapter three, we need a savior because our relationship with God is broken and we broke it. 
He created us. He created us to walk with him. He would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden every night. Isn't that cool? They had face-to-face relationship. They could talk. But because Adam and Eve sinned, they broke that relationship, not only for them, but for all of mankind that would follow. Genesis 3.8 is a very sad verse, but it's, it's why we need to be saved. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so our story doesn't start in Matthew. It doesn't start in Luke. It starts in Genesis. And it's a story of broken relationship that God created us to have in him. And in our sin, and and every one of us since then has sinned and, and done things that violate God's commands and his will for us, we've all done wrong. And all of those things break that relationship with God. And so the infinite holy God that created us to be in relationship with him, now we have stepped away from him. We have broken that relationship. He is going to be the one that saves from what truly is wrong with this world. And it wasn't the Romans. It was our sin and the consequences of our sin. See, the consequences of sinning against an infinite, holy creator God has to be eternal separation from that God. It has to be death. And so that's why we we read the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That is God's salvation. It's a different way. And so that is what is all wrapped up in the word Jesus, the name Jesus, that Yahweh saves. And then verse 32 goes on, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So we know that he will be great. That's part of who he is. Son of the Most High was a reference to the Messiah, that he will be deity, he will be God himself. But then he goes on to say, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so what we see here is it's a promise that he will be king. And Mary might still be thinking, king, that's good. Get rid of the stinking Romans. But he goes on to say what kind of king he would be, an eternal king whose reign would not end. And there's a lot of history tied up into these words. But what God is telling Mary is this isn't just a temporary king that's going to wipe out the Romans. I'm fixing something much, much bigger to give an eternal king that you can have a relationship with. And so all of that is wrapped up in this idea of what kind of savior do we need? A savior who is a great king, an eternal king, one that brings a different kind of kingdom that enables us to be part of that rather than just fixes our circumstances. So many times our focus is on circumstances. How can this life be better? How can this situation be better? And we forget that the more important thing is how can I walk with Jesus and talk with him and be in relationship with him? The cross is what eventually would make that happen. And so we have confidence in this first one, the great king. We have confidence in his greatness, that God is able to do whatever he says. That was in there. We have confidence in his rule. And and by rule, we mean his sovereignty. When you rule over something, you get your way. You, you get to do what you want to do. And when we talk about God reigning, we're saying God is great. He can do what he wants. He reigns. He has the authority to do whatever he wants. He can put it into practice. That sovereignty is an amazing thing when we think of our circumstances. 
2022 has been a challenging year for many here. But God is still king. God is still sovereign. It just may not be in the way that we want it or the way we expect it. But God sovereignly is working things out for his good, for his salvation, to refine us into Christ-likeness. Just as he orchestrated all of the events of the birth narrative, just as he orchestrated all of the people get with the senses, the decree, getting to the right place, God is still orchestrating things in our lives to accomplish his purpose. We need a king. Amen? We need a king because we're lousy at ruling ourselves, for one thing. But we need a king because we also don't have the power to affect what needs to happen. But God does. And he loves us and wants what is best. So Christmas reminds us we can trust God. He is working all things for his glory and our good. So right from the start, Mary knows this is a different kind of king. Reign forever. We're not talking about the physical world here. We're talking about the supernatural, something much bigger. And then the verses go on to say in verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the second word that's used of this king, of this savior, is that he is holy. Son of God was already used, and son of God refers to the Messiah, that he is deity, but he is holy. And so point number two is, the savior we need is the savior who is holy. The savior who is pure, who is righteous, who is unstained by this world. How can he be the savior we need from the stain of this world, from the sin of this world, unless he is holy and above that? And so he's, he's fully God, son of God. He's fully man being born as a baby. And he's holy and above the sin. But this presents the problem. If God is setting up an eternal kingdom, and he is, and he is holy, and we know from Genesis 3, we are not. What's the problem? We aren't part of that kingdom. We, we are not holy. Our unholiness has to be taken care of for us to be citizens of the reign of Jesus Christ and the kingdom he is setting up. And so all of these things, I think, are, are God graciously showing Mary and Joseph, bringing them along into the Savior that Jesus would be rather than what they thought they wanted. I, I was trying to picture this, and, and I picture, you know, when I think of wanting to get rid of the Romans and wanting to get rid of the evil, Think about this. Moms, you'll understand this. Let's say that you have kids and your kids love mud. Okay? Most kids love mud. And they're out playing in the mud and they've come in and out of the house a few times. And so there is just mud all over the house. And I know that's never happened in any home here. And there's mud all over the house. Kids go back outside. You clean up the mud in the house. Okay? So you clean up the kingdom, so to speak. It's nice, it's pristine, and then the kids come to the back door covered in mud. (laughs) You lock the door, right? (laughs) Because cleaning up the circumstances, cleaning up the Romans, cleaning up some of the, the, the symptoms of evil in this world don't fix the problem. The kids are still a mess. And so what do you do other than locking the door? Most parents get the hose out 
and you take them out on the lawn and you take care of the problem. That in a really weird, twisted way is, is what Jesus did. He didn't come to just clean up the Romans. He didn't just come to fix the circumstances. He came to clean us and to make us holy and to make us righteous. But only a holy savior can make us holy and offer us his holiness. And so we see to Mary that we have a savior who is a great king and a savior who is holy. Jump over to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. And this now is the angel coming to Joseph. So he's came to Mary. Mary is now pregnant. Joseph finds out she's pregnant. This is troubling because they're not married yet. And the the angel comes to Joseph and gives him even more of a description of what kind of savior this would be, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter one. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he finds out she's pregnant. This is troubling. He doesn't want to shame her. And so he's just going to divorce her into the contract, not marry her and move on with life. But God had different plans. And so verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel comes to marry her. And that included not only marrying her, but taking on this child as his own and adopting this child as his own. But then verse 21, which I think is the key verse of our unexpected Savior. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And we've already talked about Jesus. Kids, what does Jesus mean? The Lord saves, Yahweh saves, okay? Salvation is from the Lord. You will name his name, you'll you'll call his name Jesus. And then the angel gets more specific of what kind of savior we need. For he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say he will save his people from the Romans. It doesn't say he will save his people from circumstances they don't like. He gets past the symptoms of, of the fallen world and gets to the root problem He will save his people from their sins. See, this counters the hope of a liberator, but it's better. It's unexpected, but it's better. It's the car instead of the Caesar salad candy cane. And what we see here, if Jesus is going to come and if he's going to save us from our sins, two things, at least two things have to happen. I just want to mention two. One He has to deal with the consequences of our sin, right? Um, If he's going to save me from my sins, then he needs to save me from the consequences of my sins and somehow take care of those. But then number two, he's got to save me from the rule of sin, the ongoing dominance that sin has in my life. And Jesus came to do both of those. He came to save his people. He came to save us from our sins by taking the consequences on himself. And so this is why he came as a baby and would live a full life on earth without ever doing anything wrong. And then on that cross, 30 or so years later, he would take the consequences for your sin, for my sin on himself. And what that means, especially kids on himself, what does that mean? It means 
He took the consequences we deserved. He took the punishment I should have taken. You know, at Living Nativity, sometimes I would describe it as, would you take a spanking for your brother or sister? If you had done nothing wrong, would you take the consequences? No, all the kids are like, no, not a chance. I would have been rooting my parents on. Get my brother, yeah. Um, I don't think I'd volunteer to take that. But Jesus, because he loved us, willingly came and gave his body on that cross and said, I am going to take the punishment you deserve. And when Jesus takes that punishment, it's done. It's taken care of. He had to live a perfect life. Otherwise, the punishment would have been for him. But because he had done nothing wrong, he was able to take on punishment for another. He had to be born a man because, or a human because only a human can take on the punishment for another human. He had to be fully man. He also had to be fully God because only God in, in his um, eternality, his infiniteness, can take on the sins for all of us. Otherwise, he just takes on the sin for one person. And so God's plan of this unexpected Savior was to deal with the consequences of sin. To pay for our sins if we will choose to follow him. If we will choose to open that gift and place our faith in Jesus Christ. But he also came to solve the rule of sin. To, to, to defeat the rule of sin. And, and he did that. I like to think of that as, as the resurrection shows me that. The resurrection shows sin is now defeated and has no power over him and it has no power over us. And I know we all fight sin, but if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who is enabling us to fight that sin and sin does not have reign over us. Sometimes we let it, but it does not have reign on its own over us. And so the Savior we needed Point number three is the Savior who saves us from our sin. Both the consequences and the rule of sin. The Savior that saves us from our sin. Jesus' life addressed every sin, every fault, every guilt, every failure that you or I or anyone on this planet will ever do. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection answers it all. But he won't force it on us. It's a choice we make to open that gift, to follow him. And finally, the last one, which I think this is a, I I really think this is an order and this one couldn't happen without the one before. The savior we need is the savior who is with us. The savior who is with us. So we know he's a great king and we need a king. He's holy. And we need that for him to give us his holiness. He took the penalty for our sin. He took care of our sin. And now, because he's made us holy, because he's paid for our sin, he can have a relationship with us and be with us. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that name is such a beautiful and precious name for Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. It is packed with theological significance. It is packed with personal significance and impact on us. God with us. 
It represents restored relationship with God. See, we wouldn't have Emmanuel if we didn't have a Savior from our sins. It's not possible. And so the Savior we need, God is graciously showing Joseph and Mary what that means. And because he's paid for our sins, we now can call him Emmanuel. And he's quoting Isaiah here that God will be with us. But this is a name that intentionally follows Jesus as Savior from our sins. Sin separates us from God's presence. Jesus restores that, and now he's with us. Jesus was in the flesh, literally God with us, but then his work enables us to continue to experience God with us. Another aspect of God with us that I think of is this represents the whole incarnation. Again, that that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, fully God and fully man. This wasn't just a man that used to be God with us. This was God himself with us. This, this wasn't just God looking like a human. Otherwise, he couldn't have paid for our sins. He was fully God and fully man. And that's hard to understand. How can a finite body contain the infinite? I don't know. How can the temporal contain the eternal? I don't know. How can God fit in a baby? I don't know, but I know it happened. And I also know that God understands it, and I don't need to. This is the story of Emmanuel. That Jesus came to be with us, to restore relationship. He lived a human life all the way from birth to death. He was a baby and all that that involves. He was a teenager and all that that involves, yet without sin. He fully understands what it means to be human. And so this was the Savior we needed but didn't realize it. This this is the Savior that separates Christianity from, from all other religions because there is no other religion where God himself came and became human and died and sacrificed himself for his subjects. But that is what God did because we can't save ourselves. And so Emmanuel here summarizes the whole story for me. It's the whole plan to save, all in one word. It's the love that God showed to pursue us, to come to us, to experience life with us, to show us how to live, and then to take our penalty on the cross and defeat death and sin through the resurrection. Praise God that he provided the Savior we needed, not the Savior we wanted. And so today we celebrate the birth of our unexpected Savior. Wiping out the Romans wasn't enough. Wiping out a loss of a job and financial needs isn't enough. Wiping out sickness and just terrible diagnoses is not enough. All of those are symptoms. All of those are temporary. Eternity is better. And what he provides is eternity with him, which is incredible hope, which is an incredible thing to look forward to. Today, as we continue to worship, what kind of Savior do you want? What kind of Savior do you need? And my hope today is that we start to merge those two ideas to see the bigger picture, to worship God for what he's done, to understand that our great King is working all things together for our good and his glory. And we can trust him in that. 
Because in the end, he is defeating the reign of sin in this world. And he will set up a perfect kingdom. And that kingdom will last forever. I want to end with a quote from Paul Tripp. The Advent story is the most beautiful rescue story ever. The Son of God leaves the Father's side, becomes a a man to rescue us from us. That's the Savior we needed. I'd like to just sit, listen to the next song. If you want to sing along, you can, but it really just summarizes the story of the unexpected Savior and the names that were given. On, On your way in, each of the families, each of you should have received a bag. And now's the time to get that out. Um, And especially if you have kids, we're going to let your kids get some of the things out of it. One of the things that God gives us is symbols. And we're going to celebrate the symbol of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. But um, in that same light of symbols and how to remember the Christmas story, we put together just some bags for your families to how to remember the Savior that we needed and what what, um, how God was saving the world. So the first thing, kids... Look in your bag and find some straw. Maybe don't spread it around. (laughs) Keep it right by the bag. Um, And this is real simple. You guys got some straw? So what does this remind you of? It reminds you of the hay, right? And that Jesus came and was born in a manger in a feeding trough for animals in amongst the hay. But more than that, it doesn't just remind us of the story, but it reminds us that Jesus came humbly. He didn't come to be a a conqueror of the Romans, as we we keep talking about this year. He came to live as a human being and be God with us to save us from the deeper issue. And so the hay reminds us that he came as a baby and he came in humble means in that manger. Okay, you can put the hay back in. Not on the floor, please. The next thing to get is the little piece of cloth. And this reminds us of a couple of things. Kids, what do you think it reminds us of? What was that? What he was wrapped in. Good. And so this can remind us of the swaddling cloth, right? That the baby was wrapped in. That they would also wrap the lambs that were going to sacrifice in from Bethlehem, ironically, going to Jerusalem. It also reminds us of the grave clothes of the end of the story. That Jesus would be wrapped in grave clothes after he was crucified but these would not hold him. They would not hold him. And so then next thing to look for is a candy cane. It is not a Caesar salad candy cane. It is, I actually, because I was talking about Caesar salad, I looked all over for regular candy canes. There were all kinds of weird flavors of, of, you know, sweet tarts or whatever, but these are just regular candy canes. Kids, what does candy cane remind you of? Shepherd. I heard shepherd. Maybe that was mom. Yeah, help. Okay. They remind us of the shepherds that came to visit. That Jesus came to the humble, to the people that would actually worship him, and he came to reach everybody. It also reminds me that Jesus was the great shepherd, and he is our shepherd. And so that is the next one. The next one, and again, moms and dads, if you have young kids, help them with this one. There's a nail. This is the one that my family was like, are you sure, dad? (laughs) This might not be the wisest thing you've done. (laughs) What does the nail represent? Think birth first. I know we all go to the end of the plan. 
You can go to the end of the plan, though. Your hand was up. The cross. Okay, so that's the, that's the Savior we need, right? He's going to go to the cross to pay for, for our sin. But the beginning, it reminds us of the stable, of the manger. But also it reminds us that Joseph was a carpenter. So to me, this reminds me of his birth, his life, and his, his destiny, his plan. All in a nail. And so the nail had to go in. Please do not impale your brother or sister with that. And then finally, there's one more thing in there. Can you find it? There it is. A clip, right? Now, this is, um, this is my favorite because you're never going to guess it. Um, <laughs> this one, my family said, really? Um, clip, what do you think clip represents? I didn't hear that. He holds us together, and, the, and, and God's power, that's why we need a king that knows all the circumstances, holds us together. So clip, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, I was trying to think of something that represented God with us and Emmanuel. And if we want something to stay with us, we clip it to ourselves or we clip it to our stuff. And so the clip for me represents that God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never depart. He is with me. So those are just some of the symbols that we wanted to send home with you and especially the kids to remind ourselves of the Savior that we needed rather than the Savior that we wanted. We want to move into a time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is all about symbols as well, except God's symbols are a lot better than mine. And he gave us two symbols to remember and asked us to remember these frequently as a body of Christ. And the symbols are are two things. It has a bread or a cracker, and that represents the body of Christ. And it represents that he came to pay for our sins on the cross He willingly gave himself on the cross. And then the other symbol that we have is the juice. And that represents his blood that was spilled on the cross because he was taking our punishment on himself. And that should have been us, should have been me, should have been you. And that juice represents that Jesus took it and we don't have to take it. It represents forgiveness of sins. It represents that, that Jesus has paid that price and we don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in Christ's holiness. And that's what the juice represents. And so as worship team sings, we're going to hand out the communion elements. Elders, we're going to get creative with the format and getting to the table and how we do this. You can come around the sides and get the things. But before we do, let me just stop and pray and thank God for his sacrifice. Lord God, as we spend some time remembering now with symbols that you are the Savior who saves us from our sins. Lord, I pray that we would remember that well today, that we would let that become the center of our lives and the center of everything we do. Lord, I pray that we would live in light of the cross and the resurrection, knowing that you are with us because you made the way for that restoration. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for willingly giving yourself on the cross. Thank you for willingly coming as a baby and living 30 years on this fallen Genesis 3 planet because you loved us and wanted to save us. Lord, we owe you everything. May we remember that today as we worship.
and celebrate. In your name, amen.